0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, There are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now, there's one in Buckhead, there's one in Chambly, there's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh they're like family. So um go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American chicken tender, just to brag on them a little bit more. They were Verizon Super Bowl Live, top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta Award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner, just they won all the awards because Ponko is great and Ponko is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do. Um more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, It helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, You can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play. Everywhere where you can get your podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that. Today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um <laughs> my nephew needs me to record.
1: See, I hate I already hate it. I hate it.
0: All right, we're back on a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, and we will not be talking about the last dance on this podcast like every other podcast on your feed, and that's not shots fired. That's just not something I want to talk about. That's something for people who are smarter and better at that kind of thing than I am. And that's like Ben Goliver, who's here. Ben Goliver of the Washington Post, of the GOAT podcast with Andrew Sharp, one of my favorite NBA people. Um, And that's not just because he correctly remembered that uh, I had predicted Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors were going to win the NBA Finals way before they ended up winning the NBA Finals. So Ben, good evening. How are you?
1: Do you want the long answer or the short answer, Chase? I mean, the short answer is I'm doing well. My family is all healthy. I'm laying low and, you know, doing uh, all the social distancing stuff and stay at home orders and all of it. And I encourage everybody else to be doing that. The long answer is, um, you know, uh, slowly but surely losing connection with reality. It might be the best way to phrase it. Um, It's I never thought we would be here, you know, two months into no basketball at a time when we usually have you know, the NBA playoffs, probably second or third round of the NBA playoffs going. We've got the NBA draft lottery going usually this time of year. And instead, all we've got is just this series of cancellations and delays from the league office saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. But at some point in the future, we just don't know when the draft. Okay, maybe free agency. They just kind of keep pushing things back. And and I feel for Adam Silver and everybody else. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a crazy wild time right now. And uh, I imagine a guy like you who's so deep into the uh, the NBA game has got to be frothing at the mouth a little bit, getting a little antsy, huh?
0: Yeah. And I also just, I don't like uncertainty. I've always been someone who has avoided uncertainty that likes knowing things. I schedule out my days. I like, I like having a plan. I like knowing what to expect. And then you have like baseball just out of nowhere being like, all right, we're doing this and we're just waiting on the players to okay it. Like... And it it seemed like it was going to be the reverse last week where it was inching towards with the NBA facilities opening back up that the NBA might come back before Major League Baseball. It's just I don't like having zero clues. So when I see people talk about like, oh, my gut's telling me we're going to do it's like, what? How do you have an opinion on this? I have no opinion or any idea what's going to happen from day to day. Do you do you like when you're talking to because you're just you're more plugged in, obviously, than I am. When people just talk about it, like what's going to happen or if we're going to get it and like you have Shaq coming out this week saying that, like, I would just scrap it. I don't think it's going to happen or whatever it is. Like, do you do you look into that? Do you do you listen to the noise or is that just more of like, what good does this do?
1: Well, first of all, we know the NBA media verse is one of the noisiest places possible, right? Yeah. Like it's just constant noise. So I think that there's always like a filter. It's sort of like I'm walking around through life wearing Bose canceling headphones, like noise canceling <laughs> headphones, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to takes. So I'm trying to only let through like the top 10% of takes if I can possibly, because mm-hmm. otherwise it would drive me nuts. But I'd say this, I mean, Adam Silver, his message was we want to go by the data, not by the date. It's not like we're going to circle a day on the calendar and say that's when we want to come back. It's more like we want to see the trends of the coronavirus going the right direction. And so I always go back to that. Anytime I start to get a little bit too optimistic or even a little bit too pessimistic, I'm like, all right, what's the state of the union? Right now, the cases continue to go up very quickly. Um, There is much improved testing, but not perfect testing where everyone can get one for free and there's no vaccine. So that is not an ideal situation from the NBA's perspective because they had wanted to see the case counts come down. They had wanted to see like widespread testing everywhere. And they were kind of hoping like, you know, a miracle, like we're all hoping that there'll be a vaccine. So until there's more progress made on those fronts, Um, I'm not really going to get myself too excited about it. I guess in general, I'm a little bit of a realist or a pessimistic person. Mm. You know, I understand what the goals would be, at least on this issue, I should say. Um, I think that, you know, the, the goal should be, if you're going to play a playoffs, um, have it in one or two places, you know, limit all the travel, uh, try to put the guys in a situation where they're effectively quarantined. So they're not being exposed to lots of people, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, just like, you know, the rest of us are staying socially distanced. Try to make a product that's for television, not for fans to show up in the stands, because that's how you're going to you know, make your, um, your advertising dollars through ESPN and TNT, and then cross your fingers that nobody gets sick, right? I mean, I think that's sort of their best case scenario at this point. And I think, frankly, two months have passed, and they haven't made any substantive progress towards a solution, um, at least to this point. And that's not to say they can't, but they haven't to this point. So I just, in general, urge caution and, and say, hey, look, uh, I think the NBA is trying to do this in a prudent manner. I really do think they care about player safety a lot. I think they realize if a superstar level player were to get seriously sick, um, you know, or in an absolute worst case scenario die, it would be something that, you know, would stick with fans for decades, you know, and that kind of a decision. And so that's why I think they're being very, uh, very cautious at this point.
0: Yeah, I don't envy any of the positions that uh, <laughs> the commissioners find themselves in. These are these are not great situations, and I I'm glad Ooh. I'm not the the final decision maker here.
1: Um, well, Chase, can yeah. I underscore that real quick? Because I was mm-hmm. on a pre- uh, a press conference call with Adam Silver a couple weeks ago, um, and at the towards the end of the call, he goes, "Yeah, so just like FYI, right now our revenues are at zero. You know, oh, cool. because they're not <laughs> playing any games, and like of course they're still paying salaries. There's no games. There's no games, there's no games on television. They're not really." You know, I mean, they're selling merchandise, so it's not technically zero. But I mean, this is an eight billion dollar a year company that just suddenly overnight uh, was put out of business by a pandemic. You know, uh, for you know, for better or worse. I mean, that's that's probably the best way to phrase it. And it, when he just said that, it shook me, right? And, and you're hearing the reports coming out of uh, his conference call with the players last week, where the message is like, our collective bargaining agreement, this document that is basically the constitution of the NBA just doesn't apply. Like we never thought we were going to be in a situation where revenues were at zero for months and months and months, right? So um, it's a a challenging legal question. It's a challenging health question. It's a challenging ethical question. It's a challenging financial question. I mean, just all of it on top before you even get to the actual basketball. And um, it would be overwhelming. So I'm right there with you. I I do not envy them. And uh, I hope that maybe provides a, a finer point to what we were trying to say
0: yeah i think that's that's fair and i this, this is why i'm staying out of it like i when i see nba twitter talk about this kind of i'm just i i don't feel comfortable like there's still just so much we don't know and what's going on behind the scenes and um we're in just brand new territory like you said that they did never they never thought that they would find themselves in a situation like this um as they shouldn't have
1: um hey can i ask you a question though because yes, you know as we're doing this philosophical conversation like should should players go back and play I flip it around. Would you be comfortable going to an NBA game right now? Let's say fans were allowed. Like, would you feel comfortable and safe going to an NBA game? And I think if the answer is no, why are we asking the players to play? You know what I mean? Like, it, I'm kind of hung up on that part of it. Now, obviously, with 18,000 fans there, there's a higher risk because there's more people packed in and everything else. But you know what I mean? Just on that fundamental, like, kind of philosophical question, like, if some of us aren't safe, to go to games why is it safe for these guys to play
0: um well let me just say i i thought i had corona last month um i went to er uh i had a different strain of the flu um i was having severe breathing issues for like a week straight and i just was getting worse and fatigued and it was just like i they i called my physician and he suspected it was that and the er doctor suspected it was that so i got the test and everything else and i would definitely tell you that uh, the test is not pleasant and they do Mm. multiple like that stick goes for a very long time up your up your nose up your head it's it's not it's not pleasant um but i didn't end up having it just a different strain of the flu but i (sighs) being in that situation and seeing people up close um who did have it and being in it, it just felt like walking into a war zone. Uh, It was very eerie and scary. And um, I, for me, I don't know because I just, I've seen up close what it looked like when you really get it. And it, it just ravages your body and just how much we still don't know. (sighs) I just, I think it ultimately comes on the individual where if you are comfortable with it and you're comfortable with the risk in a isolated environment, like I'm not going to tell you, you shouldn't do that or a player shouldn't do that. If they think it's right and they are comfortable with it and their families are comfortable with it. It's, it's hard for me to posit that they should not play if they're comfortable with it. But for me and my situation and just what I've been around, I, I think it would have to be very spaced out. Like it wouldn't be a normal, I wouldn't go to a normal game anytime soon um, until treatment in it maybe even a vaccine is there before like if you i would not sit beside other people i wouldn't feel comfortable it's like when you go to the grocery store and there are older people um walking by you with no masks like i've seen recently and i just it's very uneasy and unsettling because you you don't want to give them anything and you don't be responsible for that so you're just kind of on edge being around them and if you open it up for the games and like if everybody could go then i probably wouldn't go if there were restrictions on who are allowed to go where just people who have autoimmune disease or anything like that or they're compromised or they're over the age of 60 they're not allowed to go maybe you're getting closer to me being comfortable going but i don't know um probably
1: not yeah i guess it's probably not for me I'm with you. Like you're thinking long and hard about it. That's the point. Like there's, there's no like up or down quick answer to this question. Right. And so if you put yourself in the player situation, I think there are some players who would be like fairly quick ups. Like they want to go win a title. They feel like they're in good shape. They're not a high risk people. But if you put 450 people, regardless of profession, but just go ahead and say the 450 NBA players and you pull all of them. I think there's going to be a real range of answers, right? There's going to be some people who are like, you know what? I hate germs. I don't want anything to do with it. You're going to have some people who are in your camp who say, I'm cautious. I'm not a complete no, but I'm very cautious. You're going to have some people who are like, is it really worth it? Like, make the case for me. You're going to have some people who are like, hey, it could be good for the country. You're just going to have a range of opinions. And that's the tricky part for Adam Silver is his philosophy has always been this idea of like leadership by consensus. It's like I want to listen to every opinion and try to come up with the thing that's going to make everyone happy. And that's not right. And real. I think yeah. unfortunately in this situation there's no consensus, right? Like there's no possible way you can bring, make everybody happy and I think that's the tricky part.
0: And that's that <laughs> that goes all the way up the ladder. That's just like when we eventually like open up all the way like even 9 months from now there's still going to be people that are not okay with it that are still uncomfortable like it's never going to be a a clean and easy open back up gets normal like everybody's going to be operating at their own speed getting back to normal um but it's also too just i i don't believe the tracing and the testing is there so i think i'd probably ultimately side more towards no because if it was like if they could assure fans that they had enough testing that they could everybody who walks in the building gets tested even asymptomatic people then you're going to get a lot more yeses probably and i'd be more inclined but we're nowhere near that we're nowhere near where we need to be tracing wise like i realistically speaking no like i i, I think i'd probably go no
1: i think you're exactly right on the testing and tracing point and i think adam silver probably back in march when this whole shutdown There's probably a baked in assumption at some level from the NBA office of like, look, we're the United States of America. Like we're the most powerful country in the world. Like if we need to put our minds and like the full force of the federal government behind something and we need to come up with like 30 million tests and we're just going to test everyone constantly, then no problem. Right. And if we're going to need to do this tracing thing, we're going to be the leaders on that too. And I think unfortunately, not only for the NBA, but for society at large, like, there's been some real progress made, but the problem is not solved, right? And so I think when he's looking at trying to kind of, you know, hash out a timeline or, hey, check back with us in 30 days or whatever, I think there's probably a level of assumption being baked into those decisions of like, well, you know what, the the federal government, they're going to get on top of this, this problem is going to be solved. And unfortunately, like, some problems are too big, even for the commissioner of an $8 billion a year sport, right? Like, he can't go out there and manufacture enough tests for all of society. Right. So, um, you know, that's another thing where some of these problems is just like outside of Adam Silver's control and, and they're at the mercy of, um, public health progress and, uh, you know, governmental policy. And that could be a, a really tricky place for anyone, uh, especially the leader of a, a business of that size.
0: I would encourage everyone to listen to Vox's, the weeds podcast about this, um, uh, from a couple of days ago. I don't know if you are a listener to them, but, um, they do great, great work, and I, it's one of my favorite podcasts. But they had Ezra went on this diatribe um, about how, like, the lockdown portion of from March to April, that was the moment to ramp up testing, ramp up tracing, like when you could sell people when it was relatively new and fresh, and um, they all knew the risk. But now it's become such a partisan divide; uh, <laughs> it it's just going to be complicated and messy. And I, unfortunately, I'm kind of like you when it comes to the cynical aspect of this of where i see it going going forward i think we missed the boat where the opportunity to ramp up testing ramp up um tracing and really do things like new zealand did like south korea did i i don't think that's what's happening and then you have the federalism aspect of this and different states like my state is opening up and um your state it's gonna I, who knows like that's gonna be a <laughs> like i don't even know because <laughs> I, I don't know
1: yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I was listening to a podcast. Michael Lewis was comparing, you know, like Trump's response to kind of being like a, a basketball coach, and you know, not a very good one. I guess he was sort of like Bobby Knight. I guess his comparison was like Bobby Knight without the the fundamental background. Mm. Um, you know, just kind of like a lot of sound and and a lot of fury, but maybe not quite as much like thoughtful action. And it does kind of feel like on some of these issues that we're just the the country as a whole, we're the team that's just like adjusting too slow, right? It's like, hey, like there's guys who are just draining three pointers. Maybe we should go like trap Steph Curry, but we don't do it until like halfway through the third quarter, and we're already down by 25 points. Like, I mean, I hate to torture the sports metaphor, but y- you kind of get where I'm going. Like, it does feel like we're just kind of, uh, you know, three and a half beats too late on some of these things, and that's why I encourage everybody to lay low and stay safe, you know, because there's not much else we can do, uh, in terms of what we can actually control as individual citizens, uh, other than voting, of course, which I encourage people to do. But, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in.
0: Yeah. That's the other sad part about it because guess what? He's still going to be controlling things for the foreseeable future. So sports coming back still ultimately falls there. And I don't know, that's a, that's a probably another conversation for another day. Um, a conversation that uh, you like having, Ben Gulliver, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Who? Ooh. I, I want to ask you, like, when you go back and you think about where they were at, the point differential, the way Giannis was playing, on his way to back-to-back MVPs, did you suspect or did you believe in your heart of hearts that the Milwaukee Bucks were on their way to an NBA championship?
1: Well, if you're saying heart of hearts, the answer is yes, they were <laughs> going to win If you're saying brain of brains the answer was I had some very serious, like stressful reservations about that. More so the team that, than last year or less so? Uh, well, last year was just a joy ride. There was no okay. need for stress <laughs> last year, right? Like, I mean, when they're up two zero um, against Toronto, obviously, you know, people who were kind of want this coronation for Giannis definitely got ahead of ourselves. Right. I mean, there's no doubt. It's like, you know, you take your eye off the ball. Is it going to be a four game or a five game series? Milwaukee looks unstoppable. And then, Kaboom, you know, and I think SB Nation's ranking them as one of the worst all time kind of like choke jobs in the playoffs uh, ever recently. And, you know, it's it's a fair tag. I mean, this year, the team that really scared me on their behalf was the Clippers, because um, we know the formula to to kind of make Giannis's life miserable is have, you know, really good perimeter on ball guys who can handle him without help, have switchable guys. Uh, you know, just harass them as much as possible and then have, you know, a solid interior defense behind them. And then, you know, be able to kind of, you know, counter punch with their offense, have enough shooters where you can get into a shootout if you need to. And uh, to me, the Clippers just checked every single one of those boxes. So um, my favorite comparison to make about the Bucks, though, was actually to the 91 bulls. And I know you want to get too much into the last dance, but you know, that year it was, all the storylines changed about Jordan. It was like, he can't get over the hump. He can't get over the hump. There's flaws to his game. Um, And then all of a sudden he comes back in 91 and it's like, Oh wow. Like this guy is just kind of ridiculously unstoppable. And we have to completely rethink uh, his place within the Pantheon. And I think for Giannis, because he's been so good for so long, the detractors have kind of accumulated here a little bit saying, Oh, he doesn't have the jump shot. Oh, he's not going to be a playoff player. Oh, he doesn't play enough minutes. Um, you know, oh, they're just a system. I mean, all these kinds of criticisms, which I think a lot of those are are not particularly fair given how, uh, you know, amazing he has been and consistently so for the last couple of years. And so I was kind of looking forward to him to having that like 1991-like playoff run where it's just like answering every single question, smoking a couple of these teams off the court, and then potentially getting crowned, uh, you know, champion uh, over one of the LA teams, which I think would have been, Uh, a very interesting kind of like big, big city versus a, you know, small market type showdown. But uh, you know, unfortunately we haven't gotten it. You know, if the Lakers had played the bucks, I was all ready to to write that series as glitz versus Schlitz, you know, like the, the, the crappy beer that, or I, maybe I shouldn't say crappy, but you know, the, the local beer they've got up there in Wisconsin versus, you know, the, the Showtime Lakers and LeBron and the, and the uh, you know, the, the passing of the torch for magic and all that stuff. So that's what I was excited to kind of like pin this series as. And unfortunately, we got nothing right now.
0: Hmm. So did you feel better about how he matched up with the Lakers, the Clippers?
1: Lakers for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, just because this idea that you have two different guys that you could use and you have all that length on the perimeter and you've got a really good option for Middleton. What I was worried about from the Lakers standpoint is like those games in Milwaukee where Milwaukee can really get going do they have enough, um, you know, defenders, and do they match up in the right ways to be able to, you know, kind of stop the bleeding at certain points? And the Lakers' late-season win over Milwaukee was very impressive. I mean, LeBron brought it for sure, um, and you could tell that he was super motivated. And you can really make a strong case that, like in that series, LeBron could could still wind up being the very best player. Um, but I think that uh, you know, potentially having the home court advantage. Um, And then having Giannis in the situation where, I mean, I just don't think Anthony Davis guards Giannis very well. And I didn't love any of their other answers. I'm not sure how sustainable LeBron as a defender on Giannis would be over the course of a series. And I just think that Kawhi has shown him a lot of problems. Uh, Paul George is probably number two on my pecking order in terms of guys who I would want to defend Giannis uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, I just think that uh, the Clippers are deeper. Um And they got plenty of shooters, and, and that was my formula. So, you know, who knows? I, do you disagree or you feel differently?
0: No. Um, I, I do think about, like, how hard it is to just go back-to-back anyway because before the season, like, I'm obviously a gigantic Kawhi guy and everything, but um, I didn't really make much of Montrezel's comments, which feel like forever ago, about the chemistry. And a uh, friend of the pod, Jovan, and I talked about um, everything with that team. And there was some weird stuff, I will say, with the Clippers. But I, I, I just felt like it was one of those things when they got to the playoffs, it would be fine. But they have more depth, obviously, than the Lakers. But I don't... I can never get... There's just something wrong. You know what's crazy, too, when I think about it, is how much more I'm nervous about Paul George than I used to be. Or, like, the health. Or, like, can I really count on Paul George? Can I really expect paul george to be around because like everybody in the raptors last year around Kawhi, you like nope they're gonna be there they're gonna be fighting i'm not really all that concerned about the role players around Kawhi. um i'm kind of concerned about just what if paul george just isn't there what if landry shaman just hasn't gotten enough reps to really play a big role at the playoffs? like what if montrezl becomes unplayable in a series unlike uh gasol or Ibaka would have been like there's I ended up having, like, weird concerns about just the way this team could go south in the playoffs or it could get ugly. And I didn't really have that feeling about Kawhi's Raptors as much as I do with the Clippers. So, I don't know. I mean, I think my gut is still to just pick the best playoff basketball player, which is still Kawhi. And if he's healthy and he's fine, then it's going to be really hard to beat Kawhi Leonard four times in a series. But um, it might not in his hands where he can only do so much because Paul George misses three games and um, Pat Bev does some crazy stuff. And Montrezl, like I said, becomes unplayable and just, they have to rely on too many unproven commodities meshing at the right time. And I don't know, I kind of talked myself in and out of them throughout the course of the season, but like, it would not surprise me if it didn't end up working out and just the Lakers seem to just understand each other better and just, it made more sense. And I, I don't know. I kind of talked myself into the Lakers over the Clippers as the course of the season went on.
1: I hear you. I mean, a couple of thoughts. First of all, I th- and I wrote this coming into the season, I think Paul George had more pressure on him this year in the playoffs than any other player in the yes. league, because, you know, you look back at the track record from Indiana and Oklahoma City, and it says first round and out, first round and out, first round and out, and also some real inconsistencies, you know, wild swings and how well does he play? Yep. And that's not the formula for a title team, right? I mean, that's the stuff that people used to say about Lowry and DeRozan before, you know, DeRozan was out of there and, and Lowry came a, a, became a pretty uh, consistent piece for them last year during the title run. So um, for sure agree on Paul George. He had a lot to prove, more to prove than basically anyone else. Um, and that was actually one of those takes that I got co-signed by Barkley, which is one of my favorite things to do. Is <laughs> like, you know, have a, have an idea, you know, bubbling, And ask Barkley, Charles Barkley, at the preseason press conference at TNT does, hey, what do you think? And when he goes to town for five minutes about it, it's like, all right, all right, this is certified. If we're on the same page here, this must be correct. Um, In terms of the chemistry stuff, the Lakers had better chemistry than anybody in the league besides the Bucs. Now, you you could even say they had as good of chemistry. I mean, they are both 1A, 1B in terms of the chemistry side. What I would say in defense of the Clippers when they actually played their best lineups and they didn't have to do it very often cause they weren't fully healthy very often. And then, you know, sometimes they're not in close games late, like their version of the death lineup, the small ball lineup. And I was calling it the coma lineup cause it wasn't quite as good as the death lineup, but it was kind of close. <laughs> um, It was awesome, man. Like, it was really potent. And it was a little bit different because, you know, you have wings who are sort of initiating with Kawhi at Paul George. But the spacing was incredible. You know, I mean, just uh, all these different, uh, you know, guys hanging out in corners who are threats. And then Montrez able to go to town um, in the middle. And then I even think that they could have gone smaller potentially against the Rockets. And I was trying to convince their front office to do this during one of the regular season games to basically play Kawhi at the five. Or play Paul George at the five and just, you know, have it nothing but six, seven and, and shorter and just see what happens when uh, Houston goes small. And I mean, they never did it, but they should have thought about it. And I could see that just blowing a lot of people's minds, catching people by surprise in the playoffs had they gotten there. And so that's, you know, another thing that I'm a little bit bummed about not getting to see how, how experimental they wanted to get. Um, but, uh, the questions in terms of quiet supporting cast were definitely there and look, they were going to have a harder run. You know, they were going to have to play three real series, um, to get where they needed to go because, you know, through the Western conference, because they didn't have, you know, the, the number one seed and they were going to have to play a real team in the first round. And that was something that the, I thought the Sixers benefit or sorry, the, the Raptors benefited from last year. I mean, they had a real test in the second round for sure. And a, a real test in the conference finals, but at least you get a little bit of a buy in the first round. Uh, against orlando and i think they were just going to have a, a tougher run i was going to accumulate more minutes um and they had a bunch of injury issues not just to paul george but the lingering concerns for Kawhi. Shamit missed a bunch of time i mean any of those things can throw you off if if somebody gets injured again uh, during your playoff run
0: yeah a lot of stuff has been popping back up uh Giannis got hacked <laughs> um the warrior stuff is funny shout out to andy lou and just the warriors fans trolling over uh Giannis uh joining the Warriors which still um would not surprise me I think people need to prepare themselves that like it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world uh Giannis going to Golden State uh but from what you know and what you've heard around the league like in your best estimation how do you think Giannis Antetokounmpo views his legacy and do you think he has a different perspective than other stars around the league do you what do you know about the way he sees himself and where he sees himself going
1: well i think first of all i mean the the winning stuff matters to him a lot and it's cliche and look every superstar is going to tell you winning matters but for him winning really really matters even the rumors that came out last year of you know here's here's the situation where he could leave it was all is he going to make the finals is he going to get through you know over the hump that was like the genesis of okay here's why he could actually leave it wasn't that he wants to go and film space jam 3 right it wasn't that he has some like world domination plan to be this you know huge international celebrity that's not what it's about it's all about does he want to win and milwaukee's done a pretty darn good job of building a winning system around him and putting him in situations where he can do everything he wants he's the guy everything's built uh, in his image. And he's a very loyal guy as well. You know, part of that comes from his family and, you know, the fact that Milwaukee took a chance on him early in his career definitely matters. Um, there's no question he you'll notice like his comments about Brogdon departing. He never really took shots at the front office or took shots at ownership in that situation. Um, you know, he of course was you know sad to see Brogdon go, but he kind of understood it. He was on board and I think that if you're management and ownership trying to read between the lines, you're happy about that. Um, but I think also there's this idea of unfinished business that you know gets to certain guys, right? And you know it just kind of nags at them and eats at them. And you saw it in the last dance with Jordan, you know, trying to get past the Pistons. It's just like it overwhelmed his whole mentality. And I think there's a lot of similarities between. Uh, Jordan and Giannis in terms of you know the the dark places that they go on the court sometimes with the glares and you know how just you know one track mind and focus they are um, when they're you know applying their craft and so to me when I'm looking at this you know coronavirus thing I mean it's obviously a huge bummer for Milwaukee because this was going to be a real shot at the title right so if they just don't play out this playoffs it's a massive opportunity loss but I think it winds up having the effect to Giannis of saying look man like you came here, you had a plan. Are you really going to let a pandemic decide your future, right? Are you Is that going to be the thing that says, oh, you can't get it done here, so you're going to go leave? Or do you want to give it another shot? Do you want to try? Uh, and I think, you know, just knowing him as a competitor, and this is my personal opinion and speculation, but I think he's going to look at this pandemic and be like, you know what? This sucks. This ruined my shot here this season. But, I, you know, there's unfinished business. I have to kind of make things right. With the city make things right with the fans who've supported me do you know do what i can for my teammates i think those kinds of things are going to tug on him i mean when jordan retired in 93 as he showed on the, the last dance he's like look i made it right with the city i made it right with the organization i won three titles magic and larry didn't you know never did that i'm good right like i i've kind of done everything on my checklist and for Giannis, even though he's one mvp and even though he's you know racked up 60 win season and all this other stuff like his checklist is completely untouched, right? Like he wants to win the title. That's his whole point. And so I think from that standpoint, um, you know, if I'm Milwaukee, it's not like I'm resting on my laurels right now, but I do think that, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty confident about him wanting to re-sign there. That doesn't mean he's going to re-sign for five years, right? Um, but I think that, uh, you know, it's still too early to kind of, you know, see him jumping out of town.
0: Yeah, I um, I don't know. It it I think a lot of it, unfortunately it comes down to like you said what happens if they win the title like if they win the title it's obvious that there's a better chance of him staying but then again Kawhi won the title in toronto and that was the best case scenario for toronto to keep him and they still lost him um i i don't know I, things change quickly and we think we know a lot of guys and like kevin durant was still happy in oklahoma for the majority of his time there and like i think all that kind of stuff was true when he talked about the city and what it meant to him and everything. But People change, they grow, they evolve, their priorities change. Like It's just hard to forecast stuff like that and human behavior and human interest months and months down the line. Um, Speaking of things months and months down the line, Tom Thibodeau, agent doing work this past week, getting in uh, multiple teams, the Nets, the, the Knicks. We'll see what happens there. But in your estimation... Do you believe Tibbs gets back in for one more head coaching job?
1: Oh, man, that's a great question. Like, I could kind of see the Knicks. I could actually kind of see that where they're like, look, we're rebuilding. We don't really have a signature player. RJ might not be the guy. You know, maybe Tibbs can bring us back up to respectability. He's a big name. Like, you know, he's something to sell to the fans here. We're, we're desperate for a, a change of story. I could kind of see that. I mean, I, weren't people throwing him in for the Nets? I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever, right? Like, I mean, if you're, first of all, Kevin Durant better be making that higher, right? Or his people better be making that higher oh, after so the way the last- can imagine
0: Kyrie Tibbs working out. Like, that's, that's going to be one I'm just going to go ahead and cross off of a partnership that's going to last long-term.
1: Well, everybody likes to make the comparison with Ky- Kyrie being that kind of zany guy in class who has all of his theories. I mean, Tibbs is the principal who expels you for sneezing, right? right. I mean, that's- And that's just guaranteed to just blow up in everyone's face. So, yeah, I I can't see the Brooklyn thing. Um, If it's not New York, I don't know who it would be. Uh, Let's put it that way. And I do think that, you know, the way the Minnesota – it wasn't that Minnesota stalled out, you know, because I think that when people look at that situation in Minnesota, they've they've lost in so many different ways over the years that people aren't going to hold it against you if you wind up not being able to get a team over the hump in Minnesota. It was just the manner that it fell apart where – you have this significant tension um, around the organization. People are just uneasy. They're not happy to go to work, kind of clashing with ownership, too much power concentrated in one person's hands. Uh, Just the rumblings that came out from that situation were just consistently bad for a while, you know, and it started pretty early in his tenure. And I think that will scare off, uh, you know, some owners. They'll just say, look, you know, coaches are not, the dominant figures in most organizations anymore, right? It goes to your best player and your superstar. And a lot of coaches are, are catering to those types of guys now uh, more than ever. And coaches are expendable. And to have sort of an old school philosophy that that will, you know, create some real tension and conflict than it did in Minnesota. And I think people would be worried about that, uh, you know, taking place again. Um, so we'll see. But uh, I do think it's kind of a short list. You have to have an owner who is either kind of a traditional mind himself or a roster where there's just no, you know, driving light or, or guiding light, where you're gonna say, hey, let's just bring in the Thibodeau way and, and hope it works.
0: Yeah, if you're like Charlotte, who cares? <laughs> it just who cares? Um, and look, uh, James Borrego, he's by all accounts pretty. He's fine. Um, he's he's okay. Steve Clifford down there in Orlando doing his thing.
1: Well, I, I, here's the thing: I would rather have Borrego than Tips right now. Why right? though? Well, I, it's, I, he's not my favorite coach, but I just think like you look at their roster and their results, like he did a pretty darn good job of coaching those young guys up and keeping a culture together. And, you know, I mean, what your culture. Your, <laughs> well, your, your basic pitch is, look, you guys are all young. We're trying to grow together. There's no expectations. There's no pressure. We don't really have a lot of fans and we're not going to completely be able to control that. But what we are going to control is like maxing out our effort and overachieving. You have a, a great success story. In uh, a guy like Graham this year, who nobody saw coming, yeah, um, I, th- I think he was smart not to just turn the keys over to Terry Rozier because of the contract. See, I was worried Terry Rozier was going to drive that team off the cliff. Like that's what I thought was going to happen. It was going to well, be like an 18 open, win man. season, and between right? Him and everybody else, but yeah, right. I just thought he was just going to be given the keys and he was just going to drive that team right off the cliff. And and basically, Borrego said, "No, nah, man, you have to earn it." And this guy Graham's outplaying you, so he's going to be the guy now. And Um, you know, their, their team, just seeing them come through LA and and how they were acting, like they were way more locked in than the average Charlotte Hornets team that I've seen over the years. So, you know, just from that standpoint alone, it's like, uh, I'm not saying Thibodeau can't coach or like, he's never going to coach again, nothing like that. But just for that specific team, it's like, well, you've got kind of this low profile coach who's getting through to his players versus you have a coach who's like, brings in some baggage and has an ego and is very well known and has his diehard supporters, but also some some uh, you know people who are willing to criticize him. I just think it's a little bit easier to go the Pareco route. Like everybody just might be a little bit happier going to work, and and you might be more likely to get the the most out of your players that way.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the other thing too about the Knicks Nets jobs that we're not talking about is I don't the Nets job. Man, it really just depends on if you're a glass half full, glass half empty person, but. KD coming back from a torn Achilles. I mean, we assume we're going to get at least 90 to 95% old KD. Great. A locker room with KD and Kyrie as your two best players. I mean, (laughs) I don't think that's like the most... That does not sound like a, a lot of fun. That does not sound like a job that I want to walk into. And also, like, weird roster stuff where it's just like you have this old guard of the Spencer Didwitties, the Joe Harrises, the Jared Allens, who are fun, the Karis LeVerts. Like you got to figure out which ones can stay, which ones can go. Like you already knew there were already rotation issues with DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. Like, I think it's a low key, terrible job. Like I understand the upside of like, why you get in the game is just, um, twin titles. And if KD is back to 99% of what he was, um, a year ago, then they are the favorites in the East. And you just take that job because you get to coach the second best basketball player, uh, in the world. Like that's enough of a reason to do it. Um, but I could just see it just not being a an enjoyable job day to day. Like I, I think the Knicks job would be more fun. I I would much <laughs> rather coach R.J. Barrett in that roster right now, of just like all fours and fives where there's no expectations. Fans have just been beaten senseless. Where you know what? You I think it's actually a better job right now. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I would be more inclined to take the Knicks or, oh, Knicks job over the Nets job if they were both offered to me.
1: Chase, until you got to the Knicks section, I was over here smiling and <laughs> nodding. I was so with you. I was about to say, Chase, your your you know music to my ears, and then you just like <laughs> slammed your hands on the piano and just like, pfft. Um, look, I am completely with you. The Nets is not a good job. Um, and here's the thing: like I've I've been hard on Kyrie for years, right? And I'm still waiting for him to kind of prove me wrong on a lot of the stuff. But I agreed with what he said. I just completely disagreed that he said it when he was like, look, half the roster is not even going to be here next year. And he didn't put it exactly that way, but he sort of implied that like, there was going to be some pretty major roster changes once he got back. And that's absolutely true. And by the way, the same thing was true uh, with their coach, Kenny Atkinson, that guy was gone as soon as KD and Kyrie got signed. Right. I mean, there was nothing about those two superstars that said, oh, yeah, they're going to want to play for the University of Brooklyn Nets <laughs> under college coach Kenny Atkinson. Right. right. That was never going to happen. And so they're in a tough transition period. I think the the other element um, to underscore here is just the expectations. If you have Kevin Durant on your team, you're supposed to win a title. That's just how yeah. it works. Right. Or at least compete for a title. So you're saying you have this mishmash roster. God knows why DeAndre Jordan got paid what he got paid for oh, this group, why. right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> buddy ball and the buddy ball stuff kills me. Right. But it's, you have the massive expectations, but you don't have that great of uh, chemistry or cohesion. You're going to have some more turnover as soon as free agency hits. Um, and you're going to have conflicting interests between, you know, your, your new stars and the guys around them. I mean, that's a lot of question marks. It's tough for a coach. I mean, that's why to me, the guy who makes sense for this is Ty Lue because, you can't out drama Ty Lue because he already went through the David Blatt experience in Cleveland. Like he's True. seen it all. But he's like FEMA That
0: job did to him too.
1: Like by the end right. of it, it was, it was
0: bad. Like Ty Lue was beaten down. He was, that was a bad <laughs> situation. He aged like Obama over the course of so, that time in Cleveland.
1: It's a great point. He is NBA FEMA, right? Like you call <laughs> him if like for the only the worst possible situations. And hopefully he's been relaxing as an you know, assistant during that time period. But I think if you throw Jason Kidd in there, disaster. If you throw, if you let Jock Von still do it, the stars are going to kind of have their way. They're going to yeah, run over then
0: him. It's the KD coach team,
1: <laughs> right? And then Mark Jackson, I, I don't see that working for them, right? But if I you're think Mark, that
0: it, you do it. Because that's your oh. only chance. Like, I don't, I mean, this was actually well. in my notes of, like, who's more likely to get back in, him or JVG? Because, like, we keep getting the yearly report of, like, Mark's getting some interest and blah, 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 Or he's interested in coming back. And then JVG is interested. And then you have the Dan Tony stuff and with Fertitta, who we'll get to in a second. But, yeah, I mean, I if you're Mark Jackson, that's the dream job.
1: Well, I think we did leave out one really appealing part of this job for both Mark Jackson and anybody else. I mean, ownership is rich, right? They're new. This is going to be kind of a statement hire for these guys. And it's a big market and you have championship expectations. So, like, if you're a coaching agent, you definitely want your guy in the mix for this just in case some crazy offer comes through. Because, you know, you, you should have to pay a premium to coach that team. It's not that great of a jog, like we've described. And so, you know, one way to make it sound better is to put a crazy price tag on it. So. Um you know you should see some big names in that in that uh, pursuit but to me the guy that makes sense is Ty Lu and you really do have to kind of cater this thing around Kyrie even more than KD cuz I think KD ultimately like he has his mood swings he's up and down there's that's just what people say that's just kind of how it's been right but ultimately like the guy is a very consistent competitor remember back in OKC you know, it was like two straight months. He scored 25 plus points in every single game. And like that kind of stuff hadn't been done before. Um, he brings it night to night when he needs to. And he'll be motivated because it's his first season back after the injury and everything else. So, you know, to me, you don't have to worry about him so much. You just need to have somebody who can get through to Kyrie and kind of coax consistent play from him, get, you know, respect from him. And, uh, you know, that's easier said than done. But I, t- I trust tr- Ty Lu more than I trust any of those other guys.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I just it's gonna be interesting to see who they actually end up picking because what will be even more fascinating is like what if people start saying no and it leaks out that like bad <laughs> yeah. candidates are like, No, we're good and that the Nets are like throwing out this ridiculous amount of money and candidates are just like, Yeah, I mean it's Brooklyn championship contender, but uh we're gonna have to pass on uh, coaching Kyrie and Kevin Durant for uh, at least a year. Yeah, we're gonna have to. That's a pass for us. Like that will be interesting if it like actually gets out that people are
1: turning down that job. Yeah, man, I can see that too. I mean, now I'm kind of wondering, like, how how many people can claim coronavirus as a pass? You know what I mean? And like, and how long will the pass last? Right? Because. Now I'm wondering, like, let's say this thing cancels this summer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we're coming around to the fall and like, we're getting ready for like, say a Christmas start, you know? So a lot of time has passed. Everybody's bummed out. Like, can you just take a, a shot on like just a big name, crazy coach? And will that guy feel like, Hey, it's worth it. Cause like, let's say we come out and we only win, you know, 40 games or 45 games or like we're way below expectations we could just be like hey you know coronavirus like we're still shaking off the rust from that you know don't blame us like you don't have to play in front of fans so you're not going to get the angry feedback in the arenas like does that provide them some cover here and maybe make the job more appealing i don't know it might
0: no because i think you still get all the other stuff like that stuff doesn't really go away i'm not really worried about brooklyn net fans i'm worried about um my two stars just uh texting the ownership group being like yeah this guy's got to go and that's it like that's that's my big concern and i then managing the locker room and just knowing that your minutes are being monitored that your rotation choices are being monitored that how you talk to certain players is being monitored to an unreal extent like that stuff's still all there fans or no fans like i i just i don't know man i think it's just a guaranteed hernia you're getting you're gonna age <laughs> 15 years in year one coaching this brooklyn team um just be very careful whoever it is and that's why i feel bad like just throwing ty because i agree that he makes the most sense but i'm like poor ty can't we give him a normal job when he gets another head coaching job he went from lebron cleveland with Kirk Kyrie to nobody and just a barren cleveland situation where he got just cast aside as like a fall early fall guy in the colby altman regime and then he gets to take a little bit of a break back in la and then we're like you know what back into the big time my man here you go good luck go win a title with uh two of the most mercurial superstars in the nba good luck sir like i just i feel bad
1: well, I would say this. I mean, if I was his agent, I would be like, look, what happened to Cleveland when he left? Like, they got into, like, thugs versus slugs controversies. Oh his replacement yeah. lasted, like, 40 games. I mean, how long ago does the whole beeline thing think? That feels like it happened in, like, 2010. <laughs> that's that's how, like, warping the coronavirus about about. He thing gave is. gave money up to get out of there. Like, he and, gave uh... money
0: away. Like, that's just still an unbelievable story that i would love to get more insight into like just how bad it had to have been um for him to give money back just to get out of there um i think i have the idea for who should actually coach the nets i, I know the answer here there's Uh-oh. two choices i'll give you a hint they're both on the jump
1: Ooh, Phillips?
0: no but that no because i like chauncey billups so i don't want him there
1: Oh, he's too good for this job. Yes, I don't <laughs> there. There's so many people that don't tell me Kendrick Perkins.
0: Yes. Kendrick oh, my Perkins. God.
1: OK, let's put they, Kendrick they're...
0: Perkins over there. Give him a super okay, stop.
1: Stop right there. Chase. Mm-hmm. How many games are the Nets winning if Kendrick Perkins is their coach? Be honest.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the over under is like less than 10 from what Jason Kidd would do. <laughs> oh Boy,
1: well, I mean, you know, Dan Tony has that whole thing of like, I don't actually call plays; like, I right. just let like, Harden do whatever Kendrick he wants. Perkins
0: was just hanging out, and they just had some interesting. Let's uh, bring Sean Sweeney back into the mix. I uh, i don't know, like, just if you gave him some quality coaches underneath them, I, I think kendra could handle it. I, I would be here for it.
1: And the other answer, this is yeah. this is like if in nineteen eighty eight. <laughs> You were like, you know, Doug Collins isn't getting the job done. Why don't we have Ahmad Rashad coach the Bulls?
0: (laughs) I mean, Ahmad Rashad or Tim Floyd? Who do you got?
1: Oh, boy. You know, if I get Michael playing for Ahmad, I'm going to take Ahmad.
0: See? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know who's going to get up for Kendrick? Kyrie and Kevin Durant. You got the, the stars in your pocket. The other answer would be RJ. Like, I would like, what if RJ just throw him in there?
1: Just throw Richard Jefferson
0: in there.
1: That's actually a pretty interesting idea. It would be a homecoming for him. Right. You know, maybe it would go better than kids' homecoming where he's not spilling soda all over the court and everything. Exactly.
0: And I I don't know. Those are my two. I think they're going to have to get creative because I really do think established coaches are going to be like, no, we're good. Um, Can I tell you how much I've enjoyed the fact that Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon have had all this time to get healthy for the Indiana Indiana Pacers to make their, their serious run through the Eastern Conference? Uh, this summer.
1: That's an interesting point. Uh, I hadn't considered that, um, you know, it's kind of good for all these guys who are like rehabilitating, whether, I mean, Steph Curry had a tough year, obviously, but clay coming back. I mean, if next year is delayed, all those guys who are sort of on that timetable of like, Hey, we're going to be at about a year. We're going to be about, you know, 13 months, 14 months at at the start of the normal next season could be up to what? 16 months, 18 months, um, you know, in terms of the recovery timeline. And for a guy like Oladipo, um, who I thought, you know, looked pretty valiant. I, I don't know how well he was playing uh, when he came back, but you know, he was, he was trying, um, the more time, the better, you know, and I, and I so I th- I definitely think anyone in that situation is like a quote unquote winner of the pandemic in terms of being able to, uh, to get more recovery time. Ben Simmons belongs in that category too. Uh, but we're all you know, assuming I,
0: these guys are doing the right rehab, aren't taking it easy, Well, I'm
1: not. I'm not assuming that. I'm assuming these guys are doing absolutely nothing. And I think that's that's part of the reason why a lot (laughs) of these guys are like, eh, we're good. We don't need to come back. Like, let's not risk it. Right. Because, yeah, like, I mean, first of all, you could say the physical impacts of not playing. Right. But we should also take into account the mental impacts of not playing, too, because like I went through just like three weeks of just straight up denial about the NBA not being available to like go cover and you're talking about guys who have played year round basketball since they were probably 10 years old. So some of them, 15, 20 straight years of doing nothing but basketball, 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 12 months a year are now being forced to stay inside without access to a hoop for months on end with no end in sight, no firm end date. Um, that's going to have major implications, not only on their physique, but on their mental health and, and their wellness and just their motivation and everything else too. Um, There's no way everyone's surviving that in a good manner, right? There's going to be some people who are just having a really tough time and are going to need, uh, you know, some acclimation time once we're able to kind of go out in public again. So, yeah, to me, um, you know, for the people who have serious physical injuries and they're able to have extra time to recover and, you know, still do the rehabilitation and all that, it's great. For everybody else, it's like a ticking time bomb. You know, I, I really do worry about a lot of players.
0: The Warrior stuff is interesting because that the whole plan was Steph was going to come back and get some reps in, and that Steph was a, a, a gamer, and like even if they didn't want him to come back for the last part of the season, he was going to come back because um, he has that kind of sway, Steph Curry. Um, the amount of people that have—and I've been guilty of this too, I think, to an extent, but when you think about teams that were contenders, that had this dynasty for years, and then it all ended— their, their best player left and then at the bottom fell out. They're the worst team in the Western Conference right now. To so just expect them next year with the, a lottery pick in there if they decide to keep it um, rather than use it as trade bait and do something else. and the I mean, who could wait for the Andrew Wiggins bump because that we're still waiting on that, so maybe that uh, is what brings them back to the <laughs> contendership. Andrew Wiggins. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm more suspect and concerned about how this all looks next year when they come back but like I don't know if it's as simple as just flipping the switch and the Warriors are back to a top four seed and contenders with the lottery picks and all their big three healthy again are you a believer that they can just come back from this relatively quickly or are you just like I don't know maybe this doesn't come back to what we ever saw before
1: well, I, I'm I'm with you on the caution for sure. I mean, look, building a title team is really hard and trying to re, retool one yeah. after everything they've gone through when Draymond is like noticeably older and Clay's coming off an injury and everything else is a tough process. I guess my, my, my only counter on that would be Steph Curry is a great player and a lot of great players, I think he's 32 right now, a lot of great players maintain their greatness until they're like 35, right? So we don't need to rush him off stage left i think he's got some real valuable basketball left to be played um now putting that aside my favorite take about the warriors and applies to them it's not just about them and i I think you're a guy like me who enjoys a little bit of chaos yes um i am the one thing i'm rooting for to come out of this nba covid situation is an amnesty clause and maybe Mm. two per team and maybe three per team right because a lot of these teams are going to be in like very screwed up financial situations the cap could drop more than it's ever dropped previously that could put all these teams into luxury tax territory it could like really really screw up the entire sporting landscape right and the nba and the players are going to have to renegotiate all of this stuff um are we sure Andrew Wiggins should really be on the Warriors, right? Like <laughs> in the post-COVID reality, yeah, or yeah. should they just be able to kind of pay him to go away? And would it be better for everyone? I did not know if, you were
0: going with this, but this is, it,
1: this is it, <laughs> it, it, would It would just be better if he was just not there, right? And not counting against the cap, and they can kind of move forward and like just undo the D'Angelo signing completely from a financial standpoint, right? And he's not the only one. I'm not trying to pick on Wiggins, but um, I could see some other teams if given the opportunity, using the amnesty clause, um, especially if, say, their owner is in a tough spot financially because of their other businesses, or if they were already projecting a luxury tax bill and now their luxury tax bill is sky high because the cap drop, I could just see there needing to be some tidying up on the books, is my point. And they're one obvious team, given how many other huge salaries they have, um, where the amnesty really could be helpful.
0: Oh, I cannot wait for Russell Westbrook to get amnestied.
1: See, you're in. I, am I knew in. it.
0: That, my first thought when you're talking about this was like, oh, Tillman Fertitta in Houston. Oh, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for him to just go. You know what? We're tearing it all down. We're doing this. and uh, Just amnesting Russell Westbrook. I am here for this. I, I like this.
1: Well, I'm telling you, there, it could happen for a lot of different teams. I mean, that's the other thing about uh, going back to the Nets job. Do you like this idea? What about Dan Tony? Have you thought about that one? I think
0: D'Antoni's done after this. Oh. Just not coming back. He's the second oldest coach. He's almost 70. I don't know, man. I think he's probably just like, I'm good. Like, I think he also knows that he already had his best shot at winning a title. Like, I think deep down he knows that CP Harden team from a couple years yeah. ago was his, his best shot. And
1: One hamstring away.
0: Yeah. I I could see him just being like, I'm good. I, I, I don't think... um. I could see him doing like the Larry Brown thing where Larry Brown had that random run at SMU at the very end <laughs> where I could see Tony doing that. Like Marshall, I could see like Mike D'Antoni at 74 coaching the Marshall thundering Herd to the second round of the uh, NCAA tournament.
1: I don't think the big, yeah. Huh? The big time homecoming. I mean, I could right. see him like in an, in an NBA TV studio, just crushing guys too. That could be fun.
0: Is he get? Does he have that kind of personality? The crushing.
1: Type no, or no, he, he's a super nice guy, but he's Let's a he real straight a shooter. Stiso every morning, I remember. Yeah. That.
0: he goes to the Starbucks and he has a vanilla latte. I I think is what his go to is. And he reads the um, the, no offense to the Washington Post, which I'm a subscriber, Ben, but it's not the Post. Ooh, he reads, good for uh, you. Yeah, he uh he reads and you know what I love about the Post is y'all have the, your RSS feed for people like me who get extremely frustrated when websites don't make it easy to find the latest columns and pieces um, if that's not how your website works uh, you need to scrap it and start over because that's all I want is the latest in order, in descending order and I will go from there I love the organization that I can go opinions, okay, boom, 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 boom and I can just move and like people like me who just live in all these different tabs it just, it works so that that is my, that is my big uh, free plug for the Washington post for you, Ben.
1: Um, we appreciate it on behalf of Jeff Bezos <laughs> and everybody else on down. I'll accept the plug. Thank you.
0: Um, but it, I, I I already forgot which uh, was at USA today. It might be USA today. It's not the wall street journal. He does something like that, but I remember reading this whole story about like his daily routine and he goes for his walk and then he goes to practice, but like he is a very low key person. So I, the straight shooter stuff sounds right, but I could just see yeah. it fading away. He's also He's, looked the
1: same forever. At sixty nine, oh, okay.
0: he he doesn't age. He's he's aging very well.
1: No, he's ageless for sure. No, he's just a straight shooter, you know. And he he'd be the. I mean, look, it's the NBA TV standards. So they're not out there like really killing guys regularly. But he, I mean, I could just be see more him or being less like than Stan. Right. Uh. Well, yeah, that's true. Stan's a pretty straight shooter too. I just feel like D'Antoni one time would be randomly. He'd be like, "Wow, that guy didn't play any defense on that play." And then he might just randomly say, "Well, he never played defense for me for five years anyway, <laughs> so I guess I can't say I'm surprised." Like it's not like he's actively trying to like punk someone but he's just like so honest and straightforward and like pretty good humored that it would just kind of come out i think he'd be a good commentator um but i who knows who if that's a passion of his head coach
0: commentator like who's our next Hubie?
1: Oof, oof that's a good one i'd have to really think about that um i mean if doc ever gave up coaching doc would be unreal uh because he has a million stories i mean doc could be as good as magic was magic had a decent run as a color analyst in like the very early 90s when he first retired um, They had him doing finals games and like he still knew a lot of the players and stuff. So that was like pretty helpful for him. And he's just got so much charisma and he's a great storyteller. Like Doc's the same way. Um, but, you Doc's know, he's also answer. coached for 20 straight years. So like I don't know if he's going anywhere, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I was hoping Tibbs would be better. I, I, like Stan needs to be on one of the broadcasts. Like Stan's someone that he needs more reps. I want to see Stan Van Gundy with his Diet Pepsi on the sidelines. Like we got Jeff. Let's get Stan in there
1: i'm with you 100 percent. I, I love them both i think that jeff's awesome and i yeah i think that stan would be better as a color analyst as opposed to a you know a, a studio head yeah
0: um is there a path to minnesota becoming houston 2.0 like with gerson Roshaus, do you think he can actually do it with russell and towns do you like because they're punting on the lottery like that's over they, they didn't have any luck. You have your guys. You have your role players that can't shoot. They have their Joshua Kogies to fill the Trevor Reza uh, role in Minnesota where they're just going to take a lot of threes with a bunch of people who can't shoot threes. And they have their star who you could see a scenario where Towns gets in the top 10. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be a top five player. Just with, I, I think it's very, very difficult for bigs to ever get there. And the only big that I think really can get there is Embiid. Um do you think they can become that where they win 50 plus games for a couple of years and they just become this offensive juggernaut where their offensive rating is good enough to make them pseudo contenders? Do you believe in that process in, in Minnesota right now?
1: It's, it's tough because I think they've got great leadership. I like their, their, I've spent some time around their coach, uh, Ryan Saunders and Garrison uh, Rosas. I think they're both really smart forward thinking guys. Um, it's a tough market to, to work in and they were mismanaged there for a while. And they kept changing course so often that it's not like the cover was bare because he did have towns, but like, you know, towns is supporting cast. It was in a pretty tough spot, um, especially because, you know, Wiggins and the market kind of soured on each other, frankly. So they were in a position where they had to move on there. I'm just not a believer in D'Angelo. I mean, that's I was kind of the problem. This, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I just really am pretty skeptical about D'Angelo and they went all in to get him and they paid right. a pretty stiff price. And, if he doesn't play like an all-star um, they're not going to go anywhere. Cause they just don't have enough other talent on hand right now. But I also think, I mean, the biggest question for towns, I mean, and this is a serious situation. I mean, his mom died, right. Mm-hmm. He was very close to his mom um, in terms of high profile NBA losses, you know, for, uh, in, to the virus uh, for the NBA family. It's the biggest one. Um, and He's a really nice kid, you know, and I have no idea how this is going to change him as a person. You know, I I think he's done admirable work raising a lot of money um, for relief funds. Um, But, you know, and this kind of goes back to this idea of like, should they be back playing? I mean, the idea that you're going to have the Timberwolves back on the court with Carl Towns playing after this, you know, sometime this summer, that feels too soon. I mean, that feels kind of gross and and icky to me. Um, But, you know, again, it's, it's obviously not my call. But I think longer term, I agree with you. He's not a top five player. He's just not good enough defensively to get there. He's an incredible offensive player. I just don't see the ceiling to ever developing him for him on the defensive end so he can get really into that conversation. And then same deal with Russell. I mean, I think he is who he is at this point. I don't see a lot of evolution coming from him. I think, you know, he's, uh, you know, I don't want to call him overrated, but I do think that people kind of fell in love with this season in Brooklyn and judged him based off that. And I'm just not sure he's that guy on a, on a winning team. Um, and I I like a few of their other pieces, you know, around the edges, Uh, I have some faith in Culver. You know, I think that he's a player who should look a lot better in year two and year three than he did in year one. Um, but to me, I I don't see the core of a, you know, anything more than kind of a playoff fringe team here in the near future. And I think unfortunately that pretty soon they're going to have to deal with the question of like, does towns want out? Right. Has he given this enough of a shot? Like, is it ever going to come together around him? And that's not the fault of the current administration because they inherited this problem from Tibbs and everybody else. Uh, but it's a legitimate question that they're going to probably have to deal with here in the next couple of years.
0: Final three questions for you. And they're good, Ben. So just be ready. True or false? Rudy Gobert is a member of the Utah Jazz this time next year.
1: I'm saying false on that one. I am too. Uh, and, and, and I'll just give you my quick reason. The Jazz learned this lesson the hard way. When Darren Williams and Jerry Sloan decided they hated each other and they just kind of basically put their hands over their eyes and was like, well, if we just pretend they don't hate each other, it'll go away. And instead, it blew up and Jerry Sloan resigned and then Darren Williams had to be traded like a week later. I think that there's natural reason for chemistry or animosity, I should say, between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in the situation right now. And to try to pretend that that's going to go away and be fine When Mitchell is ascendant and Gobert is still kind of trying to like, you know, hold his position after a situation that was really no fault of his own, obviously, uh, with him contracting the virus, I think it's just a little bit unreasonable. I think it's easier for everyone. If you move on from him, you should be able to get a pretty good package. I think there's teams that could need him. And you just kind of turn the whole thing over to Donovan Mitchell. So that's, that's, that would be my plan if I was Utah. Obviously, publicly right now, you say everything's fine. They patched it up. Everybody's on the same page. But I think, um, you know, privately, you're, you're probably making contingency plans.
0: I'm interested to see what his trade value is. I, I don't know. Cause you look at like what Capella got tossed into and what he looked like for that Rockets team two years ago. And now he's a Hawk. But I, I would be very fascinated to see what, Smart teams are willing to throw at Utah for Gobert because it will we'll see be it, like how teams value the rim runners who are just ec- like great rim protectors that kind of stuff, but like they're not the Joel Embiid's, Carl Anthony Towns types where they can be the number one option on offense and they can affect games on that side of the ball. Like I, I don't know. Like I, we're gonna have to see because there's this new thing in the NBA where your centers are either. The Rudy Gobert types where he's the best version of that or the Joel Embiid types where those are more unicorn like with Jokic and him and where there just are significantly fewer guys like that. And I would assume that their trade value would be higher. But then again, if you're a team, do you really want your best player to be a big? And if I was ever an NBA GM, I would ensure that that was never the case. I just not enough possessions. They don't control the outcome as much. They don't get the ball as much. There's just I would make sure that I have a, a lead point forward or lead point guard that's a superstar before I would ever consider doing it around a, a, a big that's just how I would strategize do I don't know if you're the same way but um that's how I would do it so I'm, I'm very curious to see what Gobert brings in for Utah uh, because Utah will have to change their identity a lot by moving on from him um and what they get to replace him like they're gonna look very different like Gobert is very much ingrained in the way Utah has played for years now
1: Oh no doubt, but they could look great if you're modeling the whole thing around Mitchell, you know, if you're just you're going to be like the Blazers around Damian Lillard. Yeah. Uh may, maybe like the Rockets around Harden or Westbrook. I mean, it, it could be really fun and there's a lot of potential there. Um I'm with you, not only do you have to worry about, you know, his style of play in terms of trade value with Gobert, you're also trading for him to pay him his next contract, right? Yeah. And that that's tricky too. So, you know, you're right to raise some questions on his trade value. But I think for a team in the Eastern Conference, like if you're the Bulls, Knicks, the Hornets, who we were making fun of earlier, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of downtrodden franchises over there that Gobert could raise your floor. I mean, you could get yourself into the mid 30s if you have him there, just giving you a better defense. So I think that there'd be some teams out there that would have interest. Just like I don't really think he makes a lot of sense for contenders, um, but you know, I could see somebody saying, well, you know, try to buy low on him and give ourselves a a backbone defensively that we don't have
0: the next star who is traded who is it
1: Ooh, that's a that's a really good question that i you know it's it's been a while since i've even really contemplated um basketball questions um i don't know do you have a good uh let me think for a second do you have a good candidate
0: i do have a good candidate
1: okay let me hear it.
0: Oh, you're ready. Oh, I thought you were going to guess. I was giving you the floor. Uh, yeah, I was giving you the floor. I still think it's Beal.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, That's another team, by the way, that could really use an amnesty clause, right? <laughs> I mean, with the with Wallace contract and everything else. I mean, that's everything they say. And they're like so definitive about how they don't want to trade him. It gets tricky. I mean, what about do you consider Buddy Hill a star or no? Absolutely not okay um <laughs> it's so like i kevin feel like
0: stuff. i would not throw him in the star category um I yeah kevin had...
1: loves kevin loves a really good answer on that one what about do you consider like miles turner a star
0: no but i like miles turner a lot and that's who i wanted the hawks to go out before they ended up doing the capella stuff um my other answer would be ben simmons
1: yeah, I mean I could I could actually see Embiid if you want to get wacky. I could you see You can't Embiid. do
0: it. Like you can't trade Embiid. You They that,
1: they could. They well, definitely could.
0: That would be you want to talk about an unpopular, ballsy move. To pick well, ben Simmons you, over Joel Embiid <laughs> in the city of Philadelphia,
1: I uh, I just
0: good luck with that.
1: I could hear it but look first of all they're not the Philadelphia 76ers anymore they're the Apollo Global Management Sixers okay <laughs> we have to refer to them by their proper name um, after they're trying to like cut all their their uh, employees salaries <laughs> another team that could use like three amnesty clauses would be the Philadelphia 76ers and I could actually see them using on basically everyone um, you know I could see Horford traded from that group I I could see I could see any of their four main guys traded to be honest I could see MB traded I could see Simmons traded as you said um, I could see Tobias Harris salary dumped. I, I mean, I could see the whole thing blowing up in, in various ways. I'm not saying all four of them simultaneously. I just think like literally everything's on the table for that group.
0: I would say anything's on the table other than Embiid. You just got to ride the Embiid stuff to the very end. I, I don't know how you do it. Like that guy is, he is the process and I just I have my doubts that, that city would react positively to uh, a Embiid trade and then picking Simmons. Simmons better be shooting threes if uh they move on from the bead like that's the only way they save it is if simmons is like shooting seven threes a night
1: in oh dude can you imagine it like the, imagine like the online power play so everybody's freaking out over the mb trade and then simmons just releases like a video of himself like a live stream of himself shooting three pointers and he's just like banging home like 20 straight like that's the way they try to spin the trade that like angers the entire city of philadelphia could you see that just yes. be like, I'm on. I'm on Instagram live. Just like draining quarter threes. Everything is going to be fine. I'm like your new chosen one, Philadelphia. Yep. Would that Would that work on you if he did that? Uh, would no, you would, would you come around?
0: <laughs> I, I would think it was hilarious, and I would love it. Would be very NBA for Simmons to just start launching threes once Embiid's traded. Like he was holding me back. Now I'm. Can, I can <laughs> now I can actually be the full Ben Simmons with Embiid no longer here. That I would be here for the pettiness, yes.
1: Yeah, that would be. I mean, you just make him the logo at that point because right. that really is <laughs> that is the league in twenty twenty to a T.
0: Um. I, yeah. No. I love it. Um. Last thing. I think we need to prepare for Timon Fertita to do anything crazy this this
1: off season. I well, my number one goal: James Harden okay. not being used oh. in Rocket oh. in the next two oh. years. Okay. Okay. I have
0: people need to be ready for this.
1: I have a little bit more of a scorcher than that. Okay. Um, if I was Leslie Alexander, I would be trying to buy the Rockets back for half <laughs> the price that I sold them to Tillman Fertitta. You know what I mean? Like anytime you're getting these reports of, oh, Tillman Fertitta is borrowing $500 million at a 13% interest rate or whatever that, you know, the story that came out. Um, that's the moment where like, if I'm just a billionaire sitting around on some on some stacks, I'm thinking, you know, Maybe I should call Tillman and see if he wants, you know, a minority investor and then maybe like wiggle in the conversation. Well, you know, I'm, I could go in a little bit bigger than just 49 percent. You know, what else you got available? And just just test the water, because it really does seem like he's drowning at this point uh, from a financial standpoint, no matter what he says in his interviews of, oh, everything's fine. I'm going to sell the rockets over my dead body and all that. I would be putting out the uh, the lifeline, the life preserver for him just to see what happens, because. I mean, first of all, if you're a Rockets fan, that's your dream scenario, right? Just like Leslie Alexander's comeback. You know, he's back like Jordan wearing the 4-5, or five, uh, taking care of uh, Harden, you know, re-signing Tony, keeping Daryl Morey and getting the band back together, making sure everything's cool. Because at this point, if, you know, Westbrook was gone, Morey was gone, Tillman was gone, I mean everything is on the table for them too. And they didn't get the chance to to kind of prove that their formula worked in the playoffs, which is, is kind of a, an added wrinkle to all of this. They're super expensive. Um, I can't see Harden going. I feel like he's going to be the last man standing after the apocalypse uh, in, in Houston, but I could see owner going, GM going, coach going, Westbrook going, anybody on the roster going besides Harden.
0: So we're on the same page that people need to prepare at the very least that the Houston situation going to get crazy.
1: Definitely. Well, Houston and Philly were going into the playoffs as the two most volatile teams in the league, right? Like we, I mean, the flameouts were very possible for both of them. So they just never get the idea to prove it. Their options are, do we run it back with the same volatility another year, which is always a bad idea, right? I mean, that's just always a disaster. Or do you try to get out in front of it and shake things up? And either way there's gonna be changed faces eventually, right, in the short term, because you know, running it back is not gonna work. So to me, if we ever do get an off season here, I expect big moves from both Philly and Houston.
0: Does Chris Hansen call uh call up uh, old
1: Tillman? What's his money in?
0: I, I don't know. Do you do you not remember Chris Hansen?
1: Well, I mean I remember the guy a,
0: who Chris Hansen who tried oh, to back I the see. sonics
1: with Phil well, Jackson? So, this is bad i was thinking of chris hansen the tv host who used to bring in like the pedophile guys and oh, have them yeah, sit yeah. down on a I chair know.
0: i don't think he yeah. has that kind of money i don't think he has okay. NBA money um... I was,
1: that's what i was gonna say where's his money uh but yeah i mean seattle needs a team that's another thing we learned from the last dance by the way is the 96 sonics jerseys i mean come on like legalized the camp. camp legalized camp gary payton talking mess to everyone um, you know, I'm from Portland and that rivalry was awesome. You know, the I five rivalry, they called it Portland versus Seattle. I wouldn't say, I think people up there are a little bit too nice for real hatred, right? There's a good rivalry. I mean, it was a solid, solid rivalry. Um, you know, they, that would be nice, but I, I think Houston, that's a pretty good market for NBA guys too. I think guys like to play there. It's big. You know, they, they obviously have the international ties with China. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to repair. Yep. Exactly. So, Maybe Chris Hansen should save his money for a different organization. Let's put it that way.
0: Oh, I know one that should have already moved. That, you know what? Like, it's a good story. But you know what would be nice? Zion Williamson in Seattle. Oh,
1: oh, you're just trying to make the West Coast even more dominant than we already are. Like, um, what are we you... doing?
0: Like, the New Orleans market, like, I don't think people realize how small it actually... It's smaller than Memphis, the TV market. It is tiny. It's smaller than Louisville. Like, it's... What are we doing? Why did they well, get to keep this team? I, look, New Orleans fans, they're great, whatever. But like, no, if the option is Seattle, even Vegas or New Orleans, there is no reason to still have a basketball team in New Orleans. i It's very frustrating.
1: Well, here's the deal, Chase. If you're going to give Zion to the West Coast... Um, you're going to be setting in stage uh, a, a series of dominoes that could end with secession from the union, because at that point, Pacifica, as I'm going to call our new country would have Zion in Seattle, <laughs> Damian Lillard in Portland, <laughs> Steph Curry in the Bay area, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Anthony Davis uh, in Southern California. And if you want to throw in and Fox and Bagley for the young fans, um, you know, go ahead and be my guest, you know, at that point, why do we need to be part of the union? You know, I think that we're just going to be our own country and, and we're going to host basketball tournaments and you guys are welcome to come. Just make sure you have passports. We're leaving everybody else. Uh, by the way, set.
0: Okay. There you go. That's a great way to end on. Um, there you go. I, I like it. Pacifica. There we go. A new, it's like Panthea, yeah. but uh, just for basketball. Um, great note to
1: end on civil yeah, war. Exactly.
0: <laughs> You know what? No, we won't go negative. Uh, Parks. Have you been able to go to any parks? That's part of your brand, Ben. I miss your park insight. Have you been able to go anywhere, really?
1: Uh, I've been walking around my neighborhood, but I'll be honest. I'm sticking as close as possible to the spirit and the rule of the law. So if they say, you know, you can't walk through this little jungle gym area, I'm not walking through it. I'm not jumping over the crime scene tape. Um, so they've closed the beaches out here. They've closed a lot of my favorite trails and I'm not doing any unnecessary non-essential driving. So I have walked like every square inch of my neighborhood, uh, because I've been trying to lose uh, weight here during the, the pandemic too. So I've, I'm still getting like my daily dose of butterflies. I saw a great blue heron kill what I believe was a mole and was possibly a gopher, uh, with its beak a couple weeks ago, which was kind of a traumatizing experience, um you know i adopted a squirrel recently that uh what well i mean i just fed him some food outdoors it wasn't like a real adoption have a squirrel which no no no. best
0: friends because i i squirrels and i have a very good relationship going back to high school um they let me get close to them picture taken like there's a senior photo shoot of me and a squirrel (laughs) i'm not even kidding um
1: you're You're the best well, I tried. Okay, I tried. I laid some apples out. He ate the apples, but then he immediately used the restroom all over my porch. So he was just kind of, you know, letting me know that we weren't friends, <laughs> and he was kind of trying to establish his dominance over me. And it's I like it. it was, and uh, it worked because I haven't really seen much of him since. But other than that, it's been pretty uh, pretty laid back. You know, I, it's a lot of indoor hours, and uh, you know, I, I it's okay. You know, like you said, first world problems um and hopefully we can kind of get through all this and and we'll be able to come out the other side and get back to usual get back to yosemite and and glacier and all that good stuff there you go
0: all right ben well what can we read from you and listen to you this week both on open floor and the goat podcast and uh read you on washington post
1: open floor we went for some real long hanging fruit so Mm. tomorrow's episode will be the biggest quitters in NBA history, kind of a nod to Scottie Pippen's, uh, you know, uh, situation where he sat down at the end of the the playoffs in nineteen ninety four. It's a fun conversation though, because Michael Pena did some incredible research to find like really funny stories of guys quitting over the years. So definitely look for that. Um, we, you know, on the go, we just talk mess, you know, twice a week. That's really all it is. Um, and on the Washington Post, I've got a story coming out about a new documentary that's all about Prince George's County. Um, they, it's Showtime's putting it together with Kevin Durant. Um, there's just this very, very big hotbed of basketball talent uh, right outside of D.C. So look for that story later this week. Um, I think that's it, man. That's all the plugs I've got. All
0: right. Who else is Prince George County? Cause who else? Bid? Well, Ol-
1: Oladipo, Oladipo. You got Jeff Green. Um, you know, the Quinn Cook. Kevin Durant. Um, a few other guys that, that I'm blanking on right now, Michael Beasley, uh, Nolan Smith, uh, you might remember from a, a short stint yeah. with the Blazers. Yeah. And do. So yeah, it's, um, it's not a very big place. So like their per capita NBA player population is outrageous. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, obviously I think Kevin Durant is the favorite son of the whole thing. You know, he, he brought the trophy back there for them. And, um, uh, you know, he, he's the one who's kind of, uh, you know, putting his name on this movie and, and trying to get it done.
0: So there you go. You can lead it into talking Andrew into Kevin Durant coming back home after the Nets stint.
1: Well, I don't want to step on my, sto- I don't want to step on my story, but, uh, Katie loves Prince George's County, but not enough to play for the wizards. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh,
0: oh yeah. Well, um, he's, he's got other things to do like, uh, see what, uh, Matt Moore, friend of the pot, is tweeting. Um, Ben, it's always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for the time. Please stay safe, and uh, we will we will reconvene when the Indiana Pacers make their way through the Eastern Conference in <laughs> this weird playoff situation that we hopefully get to have this summer.
1: But uh, Sound, yeah, Sounds good, Chase. Take care, man. Stay safe, and, and all the best to your family.
0: All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you. Uh, To my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode, Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Um, For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You could go to chase Thomas which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need. Um, and all of my writing that, uh, I'm doing fairly often these days, um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But, uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast.
1: Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran.